the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book, and you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by the magnificent Dr. Maria Fernanda Arboleda, who is a world-renowned clinician, anesthesiologist, and medical cannabis researcher and educator. She's currently the Associate Research Director at Sante Cannabis, and that's not all she does. She does a lot more than that, so Dr. Maria, if you don't mind telling the audience a little more about yourself and the work you do and just introducing yourself. Thank you, Michael. Nice to see you. And thank you for this opportunity. I'm really happy and honored to be here today in this podcast. Um, well, as you said, well, my name is Maria Fernanda Arboleda. I'm a proud Colombian, proud Latin American. Uh, but I've been away from my country for many years now. Um, I'm an anesthesiologist from uh, one of the most important universities in Mexico City, and uh, as well as a pain and palliative care specialist. I did my practice for a long while in Mexico, and then I moved to Canada. I went to McGill University, where I did a uh, clinical fellowship in, let's say, studying much more things about pain management. And finally, I did a postdoctoral research fellowship in uh, medical cannabis and supported cancer care at the uh, Department of Oncology at McGill University and with Sante Cannabis, which is one of the leading medical cannabis clinics in Canada, in the province of Quebec. We've seen more than 12,000 patients now for the treatment of cannabinoids in different medical conditions. And well, as you were saying, currently I'm the associate research director. We're developing several research projects at the clinic where we are treating patients with mm, chronic pain, anxiety, um, PTSD, patients with uh, cancer, not for curing cancer, but for treatment of, uh, I would say, the the symptoms associated to cancer and to uh, the treatments that we give for cancer as uh, chemotherapy, etc., that we can discuss later on during this podcast. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy all the chat that we're going to have today with Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for that. So to begin, I want to ask you, how or why did you end up getting into cannabis? How did that happen? Yeah, it's, I think that it's a, it's a common question, because how come like a physician who is used to use uh, traditional medicine or conventional treatments, how do you end up using uh, cannabinoids or medical cannabis? And I would say that uh, First of all, I will try to talk about my history and then I will try to connect it with medical cannabis history. Uh, I think that basically when you are a pain physician and a palliative care physician, you're constantly looking or searching for different uh, tools to help patients to control pain, to control symptoms associated to pain, such as anxiety, insomnia, depression, uh, anorexia, etc. And you are constantly searching for it, but at the same time, sometimes you feel frustrated because you're not able to help as much as you would like to. Treating chronic pain, I don't know if if you're aware of this, but chronic pain is one of the main uh, global health issues right now. We have one of every 10 adults is being diagnosed right now with chronic pain. And chronic pain is not only pain, it affects every single aspect of your life. It affects your uh, relationships, like emotional uh, situation. It affects your ability to work, to concentrate, uh, your functionality. And I would, say, I would say that it affects your quality of life, your health-related quality of life. So in this constant uh, search for tools, uh, when I was at McGill University in Canada, um, I started, uh, I would say it was around six or seven years ago, I started uh, seeing some 
patients being treated with cannabinoids, with medical cannabis. And I was surprised. I said, oh my God, it was like love at first sight. I said, this is something I need to learn to help my patients, to support my patients and families. Because when you're helping a patient, you're also supporting um, the caregivers. So that's how I started to get interested. I, as a physician, specialist i've never heard about like the potential therapeutic effects of medical cannabis i just heard about cannabinoids and cannabis as the drug and as addiction and as let's say the negative uh, things associated to cannabis but at that point I didn't have any experience yet with the therapeutic or potential therapeutic benefits of medical cannabis. So uh, I, I asked the physician there at that point, like, can I learn this with, with you? And he said, yes, of course. I work at Sante Cannabis Clinic and I started coming, Mike, as a, as a volunteer to, to Sante Cannabis uh, back in 2016 and that's how I ended up doing the postdoctoral research fellow and doing uh, research in medical cannabis specifically in chronic pain and advanced cancer patients so that's a bit like of my story and how I ended up uh, work, working in the cannabis industry and nowadays I feel that being in the cannabis industry is one of the best things I've ever done uh, I think that it one of my missions is to um, try to clarify what is the actual effect of medical cannabis. We need to talk about cannabis as it is, as a, as a, as a tool that will be um, as an adjunct to a conventional treatment. Because sometimes we talk about medical cannabis as a miracle drug or the panacea or like, oh, yes, it's going to save us from everything. Or sometimes we tend to talk about cannabis as the opposite as a uh, drug addiction like careful uh danger but so we need to, to to keep in in the middle like it's not the miracle drug it's not like the such a dangerous thing as we're mentioning we need to talk about it as it is as a tool that we can use not everyone is a candidate for medical cannabis and that's why we need let's say uh assessment from a medical team multidisciplinary team ideally who is deciding if you are eligible for this type of treatment. So I think that we need to talk about it as, as it is. And it's part of what I'm, what I'm doing in the industry right now, education, medical cannabis education, to my colleagues, mainly in Latin America, in Spanish, mainly. Uh, but also I've been participating in the education of physicians in other parts, such as Canada and the UK, for instance, where we have developed some medical cannabis um, education, uh, different events, webinars, etc. So uh, this is how a doctor ends up talking about medical cannabis. But I was saying that I would connect this with the history of medical cannabis because sometimes we think that medical cannabis appeared just like 10 years ago and it's not like that. You know, we know that cannabis has been used for the last, there, there's some uh, in the literature you find that since 2,700 years before Christ or even 3,000 years before Christ, there's some reports of the use of medical cannabis for uh, some uh, mental health illness for the control of uh, seizures in patients with epilepsy, um, even to help with pain um, at, uh, during, the, uh, during childbirth. So this is interesting, but if you, if you see, if we come to the 1800s in Europe, the doctors, the European physicians of, the, of that time, they accepted medical cannabis. And there's some history. We don't know if it's true or not. That's what they say, that Queen Victoria used to, used to try uh, medical cannabis to treat her um, pain with uh, every month, uh, having all this abdominal pain. Uh, and then in the 1800s also, if we come to the States, 
the medical cannabis was part of the pharmacopoeia of uh, in the in the United States, but what happened, and that's when we talk about the prohibition era and how in 19, uh, 1930s, 1937, we have the medical, the marijuana tax act and all this racism and all these attacks and conflicts and social and political interests, etc. that brings us to these 100 years of prohibition that we're living right now. So obviously, if we didn't have that, it wouldn't be weird that a doctor is talking about medical cannabis but because we have this prohibition era it sounds like oh how come you're talking about medical cannabis if you are a physician so i that's why i wanted to connect this with with history and well um that's the situation and i'm really i would say uh, committed to uh, support patients with medical cannabis in latin america mainly where i'm where i'm practicing trying to uh, to help patients to access cannabinoids, let's say in a safe way, responsible way, and with legal products. That's the, the purpose of what I'm doing currently. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. So I want to highlight a few things that I heard from you. First, that you started in on this journey because you had this mission of supporting your patients and that's what mattered to you. And, and beyond that, I, I love that you started as a volunteer and, you know, eventually, obviously things developed from there, but then you said that, you know, it's one of the best things you've ever done. And so I want to encourage people that if you're passionate about this, if you want to get involved in this industry, there's nothing wrong with starting as a volunteer. In fact, I, I usually encourage people start as a volunteer, just start. It doesn't matter how you start, you know, things have a funny way of kind of sorting themselves out and you'll find the right opportunity or the right opportunity will find you. But the, the most important first step is to, to put yourself out there and to start. And I know that you do this education work for healthcare professionals all over the world. And you've, You've been a speaker at conferences all over, and I know now a lot of your focus is in Latin America, so I have to take this opportunity to promote my book, which is now available in Spanish. You could get it on, on Amazon en Español. <laughs> um, Felicitaciones. But, Felicitaciones. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Gracias. Gracias. <laughs> So that, that's about the extent of my Spanish, but I promise the book was translated by someone who really knows Spanish, not like me. I want to ask you, because like physicians, like most healthcare practitioners, you weren't really taught much about cannabis in your formal education. You know, you had to go and seek it out and, and now you're paying it forward and spreading the wealth. And so I want to ask you, what's something that you wish every healthcare professional or physician knew or understood about cannabis or cannabinoids? Right, Mike. Unfortunately, uh, we are in this prohibition era, as I was mentioning before. You and me and everyone who is right now listening to, the, to this podcast we are all in this prohibition era. And this has been a problem, I would say, because we haven't been taught anything about what is the endocannabinoid system, what is THC, what is CBD, what are terpenes, receptors, nothing like that. So um, I remember that I would say that I was a bit lucky because when I was doing pain uh, management studies in Mexico, I had a, one of my, my, my professors or teachers, he once in one class started talking about cannabinoid receptors. And I was like, oh, interesting. This is something that exists, but that's it. And when I started like digging in and reading and doing all this research about medical cannabis, I started finding so many interesting effects of cannabinoids in different medical conditions. And I would say that I started talking to different universities, Mike, in, 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 in Latin America. I'm talking about not so long ago. It was like 20 
2017, 2018. And I was like, hey, can we start talking about medical cannabis with uh, med students, like med school? Uh, we should start talking about it. And they were like, no, no, no. Here, we don't talk about medical cannabis. Like, no, no, no. This is not a possibility. That was in 2017, 2018. I remember last year when the pandemic started, uh, I received this invitation from a university who is like super uh, conservative and they were like, we want you to talk about medical cannabis. And I, I was really surprised because I started to see how their different countries are opening and accepting in Latin America, especially how um, they are um, understanding and uh, at some point um, identifying the need of physicians to know about medical cannabis because patients are asking for it. And patients are telling the doctor, hey doctor, I bought this bottle, what do I do with it? How do I take it? Is it okay or not? Uh, and unfortunately, if you're a physician that has never received any advice or any concepts or any knowledge about medical cannabis, you're lost. And this is how everything starts closing the door to the patient and this patient then goes to another person who is going to treat them prescribing cannabis while they're not even physicians and then that's when you have all these adverse events and then that is how you let's say affect cannabis in terms of I don't know how to say this in English but this the, the prestige that the treatment has you're taking it away, like you are affecting actually the reality of cannabis uh, by using it without any medical advice. So I would, if I would have to say what should physicians know about cannabis is we should all know about the basics, of course, pharmacology, et cetera, but also we should also um, learn. And some, this is something that I've created in, in some of my publications, and I, hopefully one of these is coming soon, which is the five steps to prescribe medical cannabis. So we have like different steps to create, um, let's say uh, all these uh, possibility for medical cannabis treatment, but talking about safe and responsible prescription of cannabinoid therapy. And these five steps are very simple, are part of what you do as a physician, starting with the assessment, starting to, uh, to see if the patient has any potential contraindications for the treatment, if the patient is receiving any treatment or any pharmacological uh, compound that is going to interact with cannabinoids, that's also important. And so this is what we need to learn as physicians. Plus, we need to learn that uh, patients are coming with all these expectations about cannabis treatment. And we need to talk about the reality and mitigate or manage these expectations because sometimes, Mike, I, I see a lot of cancer, advanced cancer, because I'm a palliative care specialist and patients are coming to the clinic like, oh, doctor, I read in Google that cannabis is going to cure me. So it's important also to manage these expectations in patients. So we should all learn about pharmacology, all these general things about cannabis, the five steps to prescribe, which I've developed, plus how to deal with expectations. Yeah, so it's a lot, a lot there. Some, it's tricky. Uh, I think what you were saying was about how if you don't give the healthcare practitioners, if you don't empower them with the knowledge, then the patients have to go look for it somewhere else. And unfortunately, it's not so easy to find good, safe information. And I, I've personally had the experience many times where people have reached out to me and they say, hey, you know, I'm suffering from this or that, and I want to try cannabis, but I'm also taking, you know, this or that medication, is it okay? Is it safe? And, and I'm like, uh, I wish I could help you, but I'm not a doctor. I don't want to be responsible for giving you potentially harmful advice. And it's unfortunate that so many patients have to become their own scientists or researchers to get this information because unfortunately the mainstream medical establishment still doesn't have that. Um, but, you know, I think it's, Really interesting, you mentioned how things are changing and, and you know, medical schools and universities and, and even 
I guess, like medical associations and even some of the big medical journals are starting to pay more attention. Sure. So I'm, I'm curious to hear from you how long until the mainstream medical community is up to speed or really understands and feels comfortable with with mm-hmm. using medical cannabis. Yeah, Mike. So I think that, yeah, as, as you were saying, we have been developing some courses and cert- certificate courses and uh, webinars and all these. I was actually part of one of the most important courses in Latin America at the beginning of the year. It was back in February with one of the top universities in Latin America, which is the Tech of Monterey. We developed these uh, for around 90 healthcare healthcare practitioners in Latin America joined these course. It was awesome. We had international speakers. It was uh, like six Saturdays physicians or or healthcare practitioners were connected during six Saturdays and they were learning everything uh, from the plants, regulation, and the pharmacology, et cetera. And I think this is um, going to evolve. Uh, Actually, I had last weekend my workshop with physicians. I have a one-on-one workshop with physicians for medical cannabis prescription. So I had, uh, normally it's a small group because it's one-on-one. So I had 12 physicians from different countries of Latin America learning with clinical cases, how to prescribe. And I see the interest also of doctors willing to learn and to learn, uh, as I was saying, for, for the use of cannabis in a proper way and not to discredit the, the, the real uh, effects of, of, of this treatment. And um, honestly, I would say that while I was, I, I've been in the industry for, for several years now and I see how medical associations are interested, as you were saying, I see how uh, even uh, we have been published at the beginning, journals were rejecting many of these papers. And now we are publishing with Santec Anavis. We have uh, already three papers coming out soon uh, with some of the, 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 the evidence that we're collecting at the clinic. So I would say, Mike, that nowadays we have four barriers for the prescription of medical cannabis, I would say worldwide. Obviously this varies from one country to the other, but in general, we would say that there's four barriers. The first one is uh, the gaps in research. We We still have limited evidence for the use of cannabinoids. And why are we limited in terms of research? Because we are in this prohibition era again. So if we were not allowed to use cannabis, how can we do research? Because well, there's a lot of restrictions, right? So we are limited and we still find, if you go and read all these uh, systematic reviews and meta-analysis, which are the, let's say, randomized controlled trials and all this evidence, the conclusions are usually the same, saying, unfortunately there is lack of evidence or there's paucity of uh, good quality evidence so we are still working on that let's say and that's why I'm also part of of it at Santa Cannabis we're developing research uh, to answer and to fulfill these gaps that we have in terms of research so that's the first barrier the second barrier is related to the social stigma we still have a lot of social stigma um, prejudice myths regarding the use of medical cannabis which also obviously limits the prescription of cannabis and there's many physicians still believing some of these um Uh, myths and some of these social stigma around it. Uh, I would say that in Canada, where I was in Canada, I would say in Canada, it's not happening. And yes, it is. And in Quebec, which is one of the most conservative provinces, it's happening in Latin America also still happens. Of course, a lot of social stigma. Third barrier, obviously, the regulation, which affects different countries in different ways. Latin America, well, we have se- several countries in Latin America. Latin America, sometimes we think that it's, oh, it's, oh, everything is the same in Latin America. And no, we're different countries and each country has different jurisdictions and different um, status of the regulation. We have Colombia as the most advanced regulation right now in the region. Uh, Peru advancing very fast. It advanced really fast, Peru. Uh, we have Argentina advancing, Brazil, it's also uh, going uh, not so fast as we wish, as we wished, but it is going fast. And Mexico is, uh, let's say, a bit stuck with the regulation. So, 
Um, this is another barrier. And the last barrier is the one we were just mentioning about uh, the lack of training, uh, you know, the healthcare practitioners training is limited. And that's why I would say I'm working very hard in that one, trying to um, eliminate that barrier so that we can advance and support many lives. We'll, we're talking about millions of lives uh, of patients who can change uh, their quality of life with these treatments. Yeah. So to, to shift gears a bit, I want to ask you, what are you most excited about right now? Right now, what I'm really excited is, uh, you know, in, in the medical field, we always talk about randomized controlled trials and all these uh, difficult research which we don't have sometimes resources there is uh, we have this pandemic which affected also uh, financially speaking to many many companies and now what i'm excited of is the development of what we call real world evidence so real world evidence is i would say not going to replace randomized controlled trials, but to complement what we're finding in real world evidence. It gives us a better sense of what really happens with cannabis treatments in terms of effects and in terms of adverse events. And it also helps us to see the long-term effects of medical cannabis treatments in several conditions. Also, what like, I, I like the most is that how every day we find different studies that are going ongoing studies for several medical conditions. Nowadays, Mike, we talk about six medical conditions that are being like, let's say, ad advancing in, in terms of evidence, but out of those six medical conditions, we have others that are advancing in terms of, of, of research. So obviously these six medical conditions are chronic pain, specifically neuropathic chronic pain, patients with epilepsy, uh, drug-resistant epilepsy, like such as Lennox-Gastaut syndrome or Dravet syndrome. The third one is uh, all these mental health illness, such as social anxiety disorders or uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorders. Uh, we have cancer patients, uh, as I was saying, for the treatment of some symptoms or associ symptoms associated to the treatment, such as chemotherapy-induced um, uh, nausea and vomiting anorexia or lack of appetite in HIV patients and cancer. And then finally, um, those, those are like the main conditions that we're, and, and finally multiple sclerosis. So spasticity in patients with multiple sclerosis. So there you are with these six medical conditions. We could add a seventh medical condition, which is uh, patients with Parkinson's disease. So we're advancing a lot in the research of Parkinson's, mainly for the non-motor symptoms, such as psychosis, anxiety, and uh, sleep disorders. Not much for the tremors and all these motor symptoms yet. We're hoping to find uh, something new for that one. And I, I every, day, every day I find new articles, every day I find new evidence uh, or development of evidence. For instance, we're starting to see very, um, I would say something that is going to help. And we're suffering a lot in North America of this opioid crisis. So uh, I would say that it's going to change the situation that we're living right now with opioids. And for opioid substitution, we don't know yet if it's going to be something that it's really clear yet, but we're working on that to see if we actually have the opioid sparing effect when we add cannabinoids to the treatment of our patients. Some studies are working on CBD to find if there is a, any treatment for opioid use disorders. So that is exciting, Mike. That is what I like to, to see how people are actually committed to research. And it's not easy. It's a really difficult task. It's a challenge. Um, but we're still here. And Sante Cannabis, we're still here trying to do our best to um, provide treatment to our patients and to provide the best care we can, uh, best clinical practice we can with this multidisciplinary team. Awesome. I want to say one thing, which is going to be a controversial thing, but I, I hear you mention adverse effects. And so I just want to say for maybe the folks who are listening to this, 
that are not medical patients or just use cannabis in their personal wellness or for fun or whatever motivation they may have. I, I feel that sometimes we ignore that cannabis can have adverse effects and that in fact, you know, it is not completely harmless and that there are ways to abuse the plant and there are ways that, you know, it, it's not, you know, the same way it's not a miracle drug necessarily or a panacea, it's, it's also not completely harmless. And, you know, I, I just like to remind people of that sometimes because I feel like it's something that in the industry, we, you know, we have enough problems to deal with that we don't really like to talk about that so much you know we, we try to stay positive and you know but but I think it's important to at least mention that the reality is there are you know it's not for everyone and it can be harmful for some and that's why it's incredibly important for any cannabis consumers to really be educated about how it works how it interacts with your body and to know that you're getting safe product and that you're using it responsibly. So that's that's my public service announcement for the day. But uh, and if if you want to add to that or 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 anything, please do. And and then I'll ask you another question. <laughs> no, I think it's really important to, and it's crucial to to as I was saying to talk about cannabis as it is, not the panacea, not the terrible drug but yes it's a tool but yes we have to be careful because as you're saying it's not for everyone and we this is how why is so important mike to talk about dose the dosage that we give to a patient and those will because this is a, a an individualized treatment we need to customize the dosage and there's some patients where we need to start with lower doses and then or other patients where we start with higher doses and then the titration or the um, increase of the dosage, it has to be really, really slow so that we can avoid the appearance of these um, adverse effects, such as we know that both THC and CBD, both, because sometimes people say, no, CBD doesn't, no, yes, CBD can produce adverse effects, such as uh, both THC and CBD, dizziness, drowsiness, and dry mouth. There's a lot of dry mouth in, in, in many patients. And of course, uh, this is dose related. As you increase the dosage, you will have more adverse events. For instance, for THC, you have anxiety, you have tachycardia, you have uh, hypotension, uh, you have other adverse events, which can be even worse if, if we're talking about psychotic episodes or even paranoia. But this is not really... Uh, frequent or common when we're talking about the medical practice because we never use such a high dose of THC. We normally keep the low the doses very low. We always say start low, go up slowly, and keep it low. So this is uh, normally not happening with CBD, Mike. What can happen, and no no one knows or many people they're not aware of these. We can have a lot of fatigue. We can have also if if a patient is receiving uh, some anti epileptics such as valproic acid or clobosam, you can have some interactions, you can have increase in uh, liver enzymes. So we need to check how is your liver function. So there's a lot of things going on. And that's why a physician is a good idea to have there as part of the team. And as I always say to my patient, we're a team, you and me, you, my patient, me, I'm the doctor, but we're working together. And I'm trying always to empower patients to be part of the treatment. We'll take decisions together. And education to patients is the key uh, here for the adherence to the treatment too. So we have uh, created all these education uh, programs for patients too, who are willing to, to learn more about what they're taking. So yes, please take care. Know when you are actually a, a candidate or eligible for these treatments. And if you're gonna do it for non-medical reasons or non-medical purposes, Keep in mind that we can have a cannabis use disorder where there is uh, now more and more information about the risks of cannabis use disorder and the famous hyperemesis cannabinoid syndrome, which is now giving us a lot of issues in the emergency rooms. It's a real thing for the it's people real. listening. It's a real thing. And so 
I want to ask you a kind of very specific question about cannabis and cancer. Just in my own research of, you know, reading some studies here and there, the same way Latin America is not one country, it's a whole bunch of countries, right? Cancer is not one illness, it's a whole bunch of different diseases. And there's some forms of cancer that THC seems to have anti-tumor, I forget the, the medical term, but but is actually induces the death of cancer cells. And, and, and I saw in one particular one that I was researching, there was some studies where in the Petri dish, they showed that at high doses, THC or, or cannabinoids, you know, killed the cancer cells. So I, I'm just curious to understand, you know, because I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, I won't pretend to be one on the podcast or anywhere else for that matter. So if we have that kind of evidence, you know, what does that mean? Or, or is it possible to make any inference about how that translates into a human body? This is a very common question, because of course, there is a lot of information out there. Sometimes uh, we, there's an article that was published in 2019 that talks about the fake news or false news related to cannabis cures cancer. Um, Obviously, I'm a, I'm a palliative care physician. And what I would love to say to tell patients, hey, this is the drug to cure all your problems. I would love to have that. Why not? For instance, yesterday, I had to see this patient and I had to tell him that, I, that he has a, a terminal illness. And it's not easy to talk about that with someone. And the family was like, how are we going to tell him? We don't want to tell him. So yes, I'm trying to find for solutions for the patient to tools to, 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 to solve this cancer. So I would like, I would love to say that cannabis is the solution. However, as you were saying, all these studies that we have are preclinical. What does preclinical mean? It means that it is in animals or petri dish or uh, it's not in humans yet. So in the preclinical studies, yes, we see how there's a reduction in, 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 in tumor growth, in metastatic growth in even um, the, the development of vessels, angiogenesis. So uh, every, all of this is being uh, uh, treated, let's say, with the use of cannabis, but in a petri dish, in a preclinical study, uh, in uh, animal models, but not in humans yet. And we cannot extrapolate the results from these to humans yet. There is a study, Mike, that was published in like 2007. It was done by a group of people in Spain, some Spanish guys who were uh, talking about the use of cannabinoids in glioblastoma multiforme, which is a very aggressive tumor in the brain. And they, what they did, it was interesting. It was, it was uh, nine patients. It's a, it's a case, a, a series where they gave uh, THC THC, but directly in the in the surgical site. It was during the operation in the surgical site. They infiltrated THC, and what they saw in these patients is that there was a reduction in the tumor size, and uh, the, the, there was no like tumor growth. But these patients unfortunately died, you know, like there was no impact in mortality. Uh, so we don't have yet information. There was another study that was being done by GW Pharmaceuticals with Sativex for, uh, again, glioblastoma multiforme for this uh, brain tumor uh, with uh, one of the uh, chemo, uh, chemo treatments, uh, temozolamide which was going to be combined with Sativex and see if there was any beneficial effect, but we don't have yet the results. That was a long time ago. We had only like a press release where they commented something about the potential effects, but we don't have the results of the study. So we are right now, currently, this is the situation. Maybe if we have again this podcast in three years or four years, we have another story to tell. But right now, this is what we have. And that's why I was saying before, we need to mitigate and manage the expectations of patients with cancer. We, we see in this study that I was mentioning before, the top 10 fake or false news about cannabis cures cancer. Top one says, finally, the cancer institutes admits that cancer is being killed 
the cancer cells are killed by, by cannabis. This is the top one, uh, false new. And the, if you see the, the, the study and you go and check the graphs, uh, you will see that the, the amount, you know, patients right now are reading from social media, Facebook, Twitter. You, if you see the amount of retweets and likes in Facebook of the false news versus the news that are actually real from the institutions that are trying to clarify nothing to do. The engagement of the false news is over the moon compared to the, 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 the actual uh, information that is the, the, the institutes are trying to, to, to give to patients. So right now saying that cannabis is going to cure cancer, well, it's not a possibility yet. I hope in the future we have it. What we know right now, as I was saying, is that cannabinoids, both THC and CBD, can help to treat symptoms such as pain, such as insomnia, which is really common in patients with cancer, anxiety, depression as a symptom, anorexia, etc. So is part of the conventional treatment. No, cannabis is not going to replace the other treatments that the patient is receiving. So far, we don't have studies talking about uh, substitution or replacement of cannabis yet. It's part of it. It's an adjunct, as I was saying. It's a complementary treatment. So that, that would be my answer, Mike. Excellent. Got it. Thank you for that. Let's shift gears into a little bit of coaching and so I'm going to ask you, what is a current business challenge or roadblock that you're dealing with? Right now, Mike, I'm dealing with, um, in terms of a business, uh, I'm trying to, to see how can we develop a cannabis clinic in Mexico. And what, uh, obviously, sometimes you have these challenges that you can control, but then you have challenges that you cannot control such as the regulation. We have a regulation in Mexico City now, in Mexico, in the whole country, but we don't have any products yet that have received any registration or license or any support from the, uh, from the coffee priest, which is like the FDA. Um, so that would be a challenge. And other challenge would be also to find how can these you know you're also trying to see as a business how to get the revenues of the of the appointments that you get sometimes the cost of a consultation is uh, very low and then you cannot pay the, the doctor who is giving this consultation so that is another challenge um, I would say that I I'm, I'm really excited because I want to create this clinic as a institution of research in Latin America. I want to create this as a, obviously also a center of education, but we need to create uh, a clinic with all the um, uh, authorizations and through a legal way. I'm not agreeing with clinics right now that are being, uh, Treating, that are treating patients in Mexico without a real treatment or normally they're using um, dietary supplements, which dietary supplements are not treatments. Unfortunately, we didn't talk about that one before, but we know that dietary supplements, I don't have anything against them. I just say that supplements are supplements to supplement the diet. They are not treatments. I cannot, I cannot say that this because this has CBD is to treat epilepsy or because it has CBD is to treat anxiety. We need um, to talk about real medical cannabis treatments. And um, we don't have them yet in, 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 in place. And yes, I have colleagues that are doing it in Mexico, but it's not uh, under the regulation or it's not being a part of the regulation yet. So that's the challenge right now, Mike. Um, I know that it's frustrating because I come from Canada where we have everything to Mexico where there is no way. And then you go to Colombia and yes, you have the opportunity, but in Mexico still not, you don't have it. So I have many patients looking for doctor. I need an appointment with you. I want medical cannabis. I can benefit from this. I'm actually taking cannabis from the street, but I need now a treat a proper treatment and I cannot help them. So it's really frustrating. Yeah, wow. Um, I wish I had a, a great answer for you, but 
That's a very tricky situation and unfortunately a very common one as well, where if you live in a place where the regulation doesn't exist yet or the legal framework hasn't been implemented and you want to work in the industry or do something with the plant, whether it's helping patients or you know anything else for that matter, you're, you're in this weird position where you have to kind of wait and at the same time, it's, you know, kind of like what you said, there's the things that we can't control versus the things that we can control. So I, I would ask you, what is, what's in the sphere of things that you can control that you can use to your advantage while the things that you can't control get sorted out? Yeah, that's, that's part of what I, I should start with procrastination, right? Like, oh, yes, I have this, I have that. And uh, I definitely need to start doing all these, like the business model, how is this going to work? Uh, how is this going to help? Because my mission here is to help other people. This is what I want. And at the same time, how is this going to change people's life? This is what I, I honestly, that this is why I'm here. But at the same time, uh, you you will find some people that are interested in other things. I, I'm super bad with numbers. <laughs> I'm a doctor, so we're not very good with 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 uh, finance. Uh, and I think that if I could control something and I could start working on the on the obviously with all the support of people who are experts in the field of finance and in the field of business development that's what I need to start doing but sometimes I'm afraid of what's going on in terms of the regulation and I just stay still and I say no let's wait but if I still wait then it will never happen so I know that procrastination is affecting also uh, all of us and we have many other activities and we are busy with uh, life uh, so yes. Absolutely. I completely relate to that. Procrastination is, is, a, is a challenge for sure. My sense is that you do this already and maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, but influencing the policy and, and helping them to build it and to, to say, hey, here's how it should be. Here's what Canada's doing. Here's what the US is doing. Here's what Europe's doing. Here's what other countries in Latin America are doing. Here's what we should be doing and, and helping them build it. And again, I know that's easier said than done. And also I know that that work is incredibly frustrating mm -hmm. because often, at least in my experiences, the, the, the regulators or politicians will say, oh, yeah, 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 great, great, great. And then they go do whatever they want anyway. So <laughs> maybe not the best use of time and energy. Sometimes it, it will sound not very nice what I'm going to say, but sometimes the politicians, they have their own agenda and their own interests. And if they are willing to help, they will tell. And I remember like one, two years ago, I was having these meetings with senators and with people in Mexico for regulation. But then they, they just, they have other priorities right now. And I'm constantly saying we, we actually need uh, these expertise from other countries. We need to learn from other countries' experiences to take what we actually need and to just say no to what doesn't work. Canada, we, for instance, which is one of the most advanced countries, if I could say that, uh, is in terms of medical cannabis. It, we, we should start with the Canada of 2021, not with Canada of 2001 when they started. The same with uh, Uruguay or with uh, Israel or with other countries that are advancing in the industry. Obviously, the States is advancing too, and we're waiting to see or to hear news about the federal law. But um, I honestly feel that I was very excited at the beginning, like, oh, yes, we are going to support the government and I'm going to, to, to give everything I can to, to help with the advancement of the, of the regulation for medical cannabis. 
for non-medical, it's okay. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with legalizing it. I, there's a lot of things that are going to happen with legalization. But my mission here is the medical aspects of cannabis. And there's nothing yet. There is, uh, the, as you were saying, politicians sometimes are saying, yes, yes. And they just don't do it. So it's frustrating too. So I, I would say that in terms of business or in terms of what I want to develop, I'm stuck right now. But uh, when I start doing my business, I will, I will face other challenges, different challenges that, that, than the ones I'm seeing right now. And I will say, Mike, help <laughs> for these new challenges that I'm going to start facing with my future project. Right now, I'm just focused in medical education, in research development, in the creation of cannabis clinics in the countries where you can do it, such as Colombia, and in the my own patients. I still see my patients. I have reserved time for my patients, chronic pain and palliative care mainly, anesthesia, not much anymore, but mostly pain and palliative care. So that, that's how I spend my time right now. And I need uh, more hours in 24 hour day. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you're not really stuck because you're doing stuff. You're, you're, it's just maybe in Mexico, things aren't moving as, as quickly as you wish or, but it doesn't sound to me like you're stuck. And it sounds like actually you're doing a lot of stuff that is, <laughs> you know, in line with your mission and with what you want to create. So I, I'm curious then, are, are you really stuck or is, is, there, is the procrastination really an issue or, or maybe is there something that you feel like you should be prioritizing that you aren't? That's true. Sometimes, yeah, I'm doing a lot of things, but I would like to do more for like, sometimes I feel my energy is being wasted in many things. And in the end, I'm not accomplishing what I would like to, specifically in Mexico, in Colombia, I, would say I still see patients in Colombia, virtual consultations via Zoom. And I have most of my patients, obviously cannabis patients are Colombian because in Mexico, I cannot do it yet. But um, I, I think you're right. Like in terms of feeling stuck sometimes is because I would like to do more to, to accomplish more for patients in Mexico, but I can't. So I feel incomplete. I don't feel yet that I'm there. Uh, so Yes, I'm doing a lot. I'm trying to spend my time in other things, but I should start taking time to create this project that I have in mind. Uh, because then if, let's say, let's dream and say that tomorrow the regulation advances, then I'm not ready. I'm not ready for the clinic. And I would say, oh God, and I had all this time and I didn't do it. So yes. Got it. So then what's one step you can take today to move towards being ready? Hmm. It's not one step. It's like 10,000 steps. Yes, but, but you only need to take one today. Just one would be great. Just one would be to imagine or not only imagine, to write in a piece of paper, how do I picture this clinic for Mexico? This is what I need to, to sit down and do, but I haven't. <laughs> do you think you can do that today? Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Come on. I'm just kidding. Yes, I, I could do it today. I could do it later today before going to bed, whatever. I could sit down. It, it, it shouldn't take, I have it in my head. So I just need to put it in a paper and, and, and all these dreams that I have in my head, put it down in a paper and then call the, 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 let's say the experts to see how can we make this really happen. 
sometimes you can hear someone in finance saying, oh, no, it's not visible. Oh, okay, so let's change it to, to other way. But yes, that's the first step I need to do. Amazing. And sounds like you have the second step for tomorrow as well. <laughs> um, but I, I, I want to ask you, I want to ask you one, one last thing, which is, how do you think, how, how will you feel after you write this down and get it on paper and take that step? I think I will, I would feel that I'm starting to get to the to this accomplishment that I was mentioning before, like trying to, it's, it's a step I haven't, I didn't take yet because I'm feeling stuck, you know? So I would say that if I do it tonight, tomorrow, definitely I would say, we're going to do it. It is going to be possible. <laughs> nice. yes. So I, I want to offer just for the listeners and maybe for you as well, that this feeling stuck in my experience, often is some kind of fear, hmm. you know, some kind of fear. So the best thing, I think, one of the best things, I don't know, I'm not going to be prescriptive, but I think one of the best things when when I'm feeling stuck is just to take one, one small step, you know, and often just that one small step will create just a little bit of momentum. And then it's a little easier to take that next step. And, and as we just saw and heard Dr. Maria already, she, she had her first step and she already knew the second step was I have to call people. And then, but I'm sure later today, you'll already think of the third step and the fourth step and it's still 10,000 steps. It's still going to take many, many steps, but you know, just one by one, one by one. And then it becomes less scary. And so that that's my my advice for the people listening that if you're feeling stuck, just ask yourself, what's one small step I can take today? And then take the step and then enjoy or, or celebrate that, you know, honor the fact that you took the step that it, you know, that you summoned the courage and, and took the action and, oh, it's not so scary as I thought. And so that, that's my, my coaching piece for today. But um yeah so hopefully that's helpful thank you it was very helpful i'm like i need, I need you every day tomorrow with the other step <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome well, feel free to reach out to me anytime and thank you mike i want to thank you so much for spending the time with me here today and and also just thank you for all the work you're doing not only for patients but also for the broader cannabis community to to, to further education and to, to facilitate greater access for patients. And I, I, I applaud and encourage your mission. So thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you, Mike, for this opportunity. I really enjoyed talking to you today. And uh, thank you to everyone who is listening to this podcast today. I hope we can see again. I hope I can travel to New York and meet you in person uh, soon. And well, thank you for the coaching. I'm sure it's going to help me take care. And everyone, let's keep pushing to the and, and supporting this industry because I'm sure it's going to change many people's life. And the industry is not only patients, the industry is not only doctors, the industry is not only the industry is everyone who is part of the of the of the from the plant to the final product to the patient, everyone is part of the industry. So let's work as a team and let's make it happen. I love that. That's fantastic. And I have to do sorry, I, I one last thing because you know, I am after all a coach. And so I, I have to. I have to do this. I'm sorry, but actually I'm not sorry at all, but I, I, my request, my want, and you can say, no, I won't be upset. I promise is I, I would love for you to send me a text and let me know that you, you did your writing, you know, I have to, I have to, I have to offer the, the accountability. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, what kind of coach would I be if I just let you off the hook? So if you're willing, just send me a text and say, hey, Mike, I did it. It was great. That's it. You know, here is a picture of it in Spanish <laughs> for nice. you to practice your Spanish. <laughs> there, there you go. There you, are, are you willing to check in with me and let me know if you if you made it happen? 
Of course, I will. I promise. Right. I promise. I'll do it. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, now I, I will let you go and have a wonderful day. It was great speaking to you as always. And hopefully we can get together either in New York or Mexico or Colombia sometime soon. Not Canada, because it's too cold for me, but but somewhere somewhere nice and warm. <laughs> uh, but it's nice. Montreal yeah, it is, is nice, nice in the summer. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is great. I, I love Canada. Sorry to my Canadians listening. <laughs> Canada's wonderful. You're great. <laughs> okay. You. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye-bye, um, Mike. Bye. Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is the cannabis business coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is the cannabis business coach.